we are con- concluding our long series through the book of James this morning. And we're going to pick it up from chapter 5 into verse 13 and to the end of the chapter, verse number 20. While you're flipping there, and while they have this on the screen, if you don't own a Bible, there's some in the, uh, the lobby out there. The, there's a couple of things that you're going to see. Uh, it's really this idea of the centrality of, uh, or this um, exhortation for the believers to be, a life of, be in life of prayer and praise, uh, this ongoing ethic of confession and repentance, and then there's just this, in, in a James fashion type of way, this thrown-in story of Elijah. And, and I think the, the key part of Elijah is going to tie all of this book together, and I, and I hope to do that in a way to where the story of Elijah and how James just kind of suddenly drops Elijah in the laps of the readers uh, will kind of tie all of this book together. So if you haven't been reading along or studying through the book of James, I, I think I'm going to give you a good synopsis of what we've been going through by the end of this. James chapter 5, verse number 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, If anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Again, let's just go before the Lord one more time over the reading of God's word. So Lord, here we are together. We love you so much. We thank you for the word. We thank you that Your word is light, that your word sharpens us, and your word has read us. We haven't just read it, but it has read us, Lord. God, we pray, Lord, that everyone would would be able to, to say at the end of this, look how glorious Christ is, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, we pray, amen. Now, you hear this, this talk of prayer. I don't think there's anybody in here listening to this and say, you know, well, here's, here's a sermon about prayer. How is he going to motivate me to pray and all that kind of stuff? Well, I'll tell you this. I hope I don't motivate you to do anything. I hope this becomes a part of our devotion uh, to Christ. This text is about prayer. This text is about singing praise. This text is about the ethic of confessing and repentance, but I honestly think that we miss this invitation to pray in praise because of our view of prayer and praise. 
that if we can view prayer and praise as a delight, not just as a duty, then I think it would change a lot of us in how we approach the Lord. And I want you to think about this, that you have been invited. The God, the creator of the universe has invited you, every single one of you, to commune with him, to sing to him, to confess to him. Like, think about that. Like, we think of, like, monarchies in the world, and, and it's more of a, you know, don't get close, don't touch. You, you've, got to, you've got to break through, if you're a rebel, you've got to break through the security if you want to get close to the king. But the king of the universe, the one who's governing over every square inch of everything that is around us, including your life, has invited you. Commune with him. Pray to him. Praise to him. So if you can view prayer through that lens, praise through that lens, confession through that lens, repentance through that lens, then we could start viewing it not as this is some obligatory thing or some duty I've got to do so I could check it off my list so I can, you know, show you to others, look how good I am. I prayed, you know, three hours this week. But if we can view this as something that is more of a delight that God has invited us into, and I think it would just change us. And we won't need motivation. Now, I've written down five things in, in, in an approach to prayer. Some of these I didn't make up. Some of these I did. Some of these I've just heard like over the years from just pastors who have encouraged me and, and, and leaders who have encouraged me. There's, there's five things I think can be helpful for us when, when we approach prayer. So think about these things. Write them down. You may not agree with some of these things, but that's okay. We could wrestle through that on another time. First thing I wrote down about prayer, and this is a stinger, calendar it out. I know that's like, well, wait a minute. I'm not supposed to calendar out prayer. Well, how often are you praying? Right? I calendar everything. Like my wife and I, we have a, we have a, we have a family calendar so that we can see like what's going on, so we could see our agenda, what's happening. And then on top of that, I've got a work calendar, and it tells me what meetings I have. And then on top of that, I've got a church calendar. And then on top of that, I've got a sermon calendar. Like I've got things that are scheduled out. Why wouldn't we want to schedule out our prayer time with the Lord? Especially for those of us who have been feeling like prayer is a duty. Because the more you pray, the more you pray right? And if it starts out with me saying, I'm going to calendar this out in my life, and if it gets me in that habit of prayer, then do it. And don't feel like, like, like you know, you're like a less than of a Christian because you were the one that had to say, you know what, I, I have been struggling this, but I've been calendaring it out, and now I am praying until I pray. I think that was the way one of the Puritans said, pray until you pray. And you do that because you're intentional about your prayer time. The second thing I, I wrote down about prayer is removing the distractions. Uh, you know, I don't, I, I appreciate, you know, the, the pray apps that you see on, on, on you know, there, there's always ads on pray apps, the pray.com, and there's another pray, uh, prayer app. And, and I appreciate those things, but, but 
From my experience, if you're like me, I don't need a phone in front of me when I am trying to commune with the holy living God because my phone is going to be right there saying you've got something more important to do. I've got a notification I've got to tend to. Remove the distractions. Man, would it be so great like if we didn't have like all these distractions while we are communing with the creator of the universe and then all of a sudden I've got my phone. I'm like, you know what? I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to gram this event, right? I'm going like, to look at I'm praying and I got my Bible right here and you post the picture of you like Instagramming, you're communing with God. That's not communing with God. Communing with God is when I've got all the distractions eliminated in my life. Now listen, please post positive things on social media. Post your scripture. Post your prayer that the Lord dropped in your heart. But not at the expense of communing with the holy living God. The third thing I wrote down here that, that helps us with prayer is pray with others. Pray with others. Let me tell you what's taught me how to become a better uh, person who prays. A better person of prayer in my language when I'm around other people that know how to get before the throne of God and intercede and believe and pray. When I'm around fellow believers who can do that, man, that just strengthens me in my own prayer language with the Lord. So we pray with others. The fourth thing is just write down your prayers. And I'm not saying write them down on your phone. They, they used to have these things. They're really cool. In fact, I used to be a nut about these things. They're, they're like sticky note, sticky pads, like little square things. You flip them off. And like, like when, I, when, I, when I was a little bit more unorganized, I, I shifted to sticky notes because I would have, and then I'd had like a hundred sticky notes like all over my desk. Write them down. Like for me, who has a, some sort of, at times, a memory like a, a fish, uh, which is not good, I, I have to write these things down or I'll forget. Write down these prayers. And then the other thing is, and the thing that has driven me in my prayer life the most, and I learned this from another believer that taught me this, pray, and this sounds silly, but it's so incredible, pray the word of God. Pray the Psalms. When you see something in the Bible that stands out to you, when I see something that I see in the Word that, that, I, that I want, that I, that I long for my children, that I long for my family, or that I long for this church, I, I pray those prayers when I'm reading the Word of God. Let me tell you something. You want to go stronger and deeper in your prayer life? There's nothing more rich, more theological rich than you can do for your own life than open up the book and pray the word of God. So pray. And then he goes into singing. Now, that's, that, there's, there's our prayer block. So now we got to discuss this whole singing idea. Be, because for some of you, you're, you're probably thinking, you know, like, what could be more uncomfortable than praying? I don't even know what to say. I don't even know what to do. And now you're going to tell me, now I got to sing? Like, have you heard me sing lately? Yes, I have. It's not good. Some of you are great, but that's okay. Sing to the Lord. It's a biblical command. Like, if you, look, look what James says. If there are people who are cheerful around you, what are you to do? Sing, baby. 
Sing the word. Sing the songs that are on this screen. Now, a couple things about singing and what it does, and I think what James is getting at and what the Bible would get out about when we sing to the Lord. In, in, in Colossians 3.16, it says this, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart. Why? Because when we sing to the Lord, what singing does is it digs deep roots in our life. You're not a theologian. That's okay. Sing. You don't have all the answers. That's okay. Sing. Let it dig deep into your life. There's a reason why. And I don't know if you catch this, but on every song that we have up here, it starts and ends with a verse that that song is laced with, that that song is layered with, that that song came from, that any song that we sing in this church is going to come straight from the word of God. And it's so incredible that then when my six-year-old little boy is singing these songs in church around my house, Mainly was in, when he's in the bathroom, he spends like 20 minutes in there just singing really loud. And when he's in there singing, he's singing songs that are about Christ. What are we doing to him? We are digging deep roots of theology in a six-year-old little life. Don't discount what we do when we are singing to Christ, when we are rejoicing. Another thing singing does is it just builds us up. Like don't, I mean, don't you just feel more uplifted? Like when you are together with people? And look, I don't know of any other venue other than just concerts where you can get to go and gather with people who are like-minded and just belt it out with each other. I mean, you may do it in the car. You may attempt to do it with your kids in the car. But for the most of us, that's non-existent for the most of society. There's no other place where you can get to come together with people and just be uplifted with one another through singing other than the church. Another thing singing does in the body of believers is that it soothes the soul in trials. It soothes the soul in trials. There's Tons of studies out there that would suggest that slow and upbeat tempo music can quiet your mind and relax your muscles, making you feel soothed while releasing stress. Sooner, I love, I, <laughs> I love it when science catches up, right? It's like, oh, I think these Christians in this Bible may be on to something. I mean, just like scientifically speaking, this is what happens to your body, to your emotions. Not only does this do this to your emotion, but it does something to your spirit. We see this in the life of Saul. Remember that story? When Saul was plagued, plagued by evil spirits. What did he do? Well, let me go get my self-help coach. Let me go into, you know, deep therapy. No, he said, call that boy over there with the harp. David. David begins to play before the Lord. And not only do we see that Saul and his emotions are relieved, but what else do we see? 
His spirit was relieved. The, the evil spirits leave and he finds relief. What happens when you praise? What happens when you worship? What happens when you sing before a holy God? It digs deep roots in our souls. It's just good for us and it soothes our soul in trials. Then James move on, moves on to the call uh, of the elders that if you're sick, you call the elders together and they're going to anoint you with oil. Now, this is interesting because um, how are you going to call the elders if you're not plugged into a community of believers? What are you going to do? Well, maybe I can just pick one of the what? Ten churches in Cedar City? Is that what you're going to do? And hope that they have time for somebody they don't even know? What, what happens is, is that when you are a part of a community, you don't have to guess who's the pastors and who's the elders of my church that I can call. And please hear me very carefully. Please hear me very carefully. Myself, Daniel, or Robin, we are never too busy. That when you are in trial, when you are sick, when you are just going through the trauma of life, we're never too busy to where we come over and just join with you, cry with you. Well, I, I don't know if some of them will cry. I'll cry with you. And pray with you. Go before a holy God on your behalf. Hey, this is what the Bible has mandated us as elders and pastors. And then there's a difficult one in here, and the one that we have to spend a little bit more time on instead of just rapidly going through some of this. It's the whole confession repentance part. It is this ongoing ethic of every believer that the Bible has called us into a life of confession and a life of repentance. A life of confession. Look at verse number 15. We see this. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise them up. And if he has committed sins, he will forgive them. Therefore, confess Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed. Now, I think one of the mistakes of the Christian life is, is siloing out our, our, our lives, right? So, so I have my work, that's in a silo. I, I, have, I have my family, that's in a silo. I have, I have church, that's in a silo. And then, and then I have my, my private life with God, that's also in a silo. That, that I, 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 what, what James has argued, what the Bible would argue is that it is not about silos. It is Christ is my life. It isn't Christ is a portion right over here. I've got this going over here and, and I don't want anybody to, to meddle in my relationship with the Lord. No, it's Christ is in all things. Christ is my life. And so what that calls us into is to confess. Now notice what he says. He doesn't just say, Confess to the holy God of your sins, right? What does he say? Here's where this whole siloing thing that we have bought into collapses. Confess to one another. Now, can we be honest right now? 
All right, let me. There's a reason why Martin Luther wanted to rip the pages of James out of the Bible. There are a few times when I've read through the book of James, I'm like, I get what, what Luther was getting at because I don't like some of this stuff. This is calling me out of my silo and into community with everyone. And one of those things it's calling me into is confessing my sins with somebody. Now, who on their right mind goes, sign me up today. I would love to confess my sins with people. Is that anyone? I don't think so. Confess, he says, to one another. There's something that takes place in our souls that when we are hoarding this sin to ourselves, and when the act of confession is not there in the Christian walk, there is, there is something terrible that's going to take place. And, and we don't have to go far. We can look at the life of David. David sins. He's got this stuff. I mean, just this crappy mess that he's found himself in, all, all because of his own workings. Look, look, what, look what he says in Psalm 32. He says, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all night. Now that doesn't sound good, does it? When I was silent and I couldn't confess, and when I was in my anguish of my own trauma and of sin, my bones, my bones wasted. In verse 4, he says, For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. He could not sleep, you see. My strength dried up by the heat of summer. He's exhausted. And then, and then at the end of that psalm, he just says, Selah. Like, I'm done. Done complaining about this. My, my, my bones, I've got this gnawing feeling in my gut. He had this, this, this feeling in his stomach that he could not, that could not go away. Why? Because he was harboring sin that had been left unconfessed. Again, I love science. It's, it's, it's approaching us Christians rapidly. Research shown that psych, psychological effects of keeping secrets include a range of negative outcomes. Negative outcomes from depression, anxiety, lower relationship satisfaction, poor physical health. There are reasons why you feel the way you do when you have unconfessed sin. Is this easy? No. But listen to me very carefully. You better confess now. Or by the mercy and grace of God, he will drag your tail out into the light and expose you for who you are. And that is not his judgment. His judgment would be for you to stay in that unconfessed sin. That's his judgment. But his mercy... His kindness, his grace takes you by the collar and drags your tail out into the light. That's his mercy. So I don't know about you, 
That image may seem terrifying, but what I would rather do and what the Bible is imploring us to do as Christians is to confess, bring your sin to the light. You will not, I don't know anybody, you will not win that fight by yourself. Well, you don't know, like it's just, it's so shameful. It's so, it's so, try me. Brother, I've heard everything. I have seen it all. I have done it. You can't push, push anything by me that's new and I haven't heard of. And I'm sure there are a lot of you just like that in this room. Confess, bring it to light. And you're like, man, I don't even know where to start with that. This is why, like, this is why we have something that us as elders, like, we, we, we are here for that. We are aptly prepared for you to confess not so we can go like air it out. Y'all hear about old so-and-so? Man, they sin is like messed up, y'all. No, we are here to be in the long haul with you. And, and this is what I would say to this, and, and I'll move on. If you have something to say to one of the pastors, and I, and I say this in all like sincerity, and I say this, like just please hear me just from, just from my heart for just a moment. If you want to come talk to me about some kind of uh, numerical symbolism and revelation, please email that to me. I do not care. I'm not here to debate some secondary doctrinal thing with you after service. I mean that with all sincerity. What I am more after is the people who are struggling the people that didn't, that barely made it in this room. The people who say, I am banged up, I am messed up, I'm, I'm full of trauma, help me. I need prayer. And there have been so many times where, where our attention would get sidetracked with, with, with some people. And, and I'm not saying any of you, right? They're not here no more. And there's a reason for that. Uh, but, but I'm just saying, like, like, like guard the time. If you need prayer, please come to us. If you need to confess, please come to us. Like I am appealing to your soul because I see what's on the line. Confess. Bring it to light. Repent. Turn away from it. Pray. Praise. Confession and repentance. Oh gosh. And then, and then James just kind of like just drops like this weird, like didn't he do that already with Job? Just like all the, like just randomly like y'all know Job. Now he does it again with Elijah. Elijah's a really weird story. In fact, it's a story, one of encouragement. James has been really just kind of this, uh, this painful doctor's appointment. Okay. Uh, just, just that's what James is. It's a painful doctor's appointment. And, and you know, when you go to a doctor, like if, if you've gone for like a muscle issue or like a knee issue, I've gone to these knee issues. I'm at the age where I go to the doctor about knees. And so, and so they, they start poking at you until they find the pain point. And when they find the pain point, you, you and your sanctification, you, you hold back the words that are going through your brain, right? I hope you're not the other person. And, and, and it's painful and they do that. Why? So they can identify what's going on. And that's how I have viewed James. 
But just because he is doing that, James has always been pointing out the need for the gospel and the need for encouragement. And so he does that. He brings up Elijah. We first find Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 17. He stands in front of Ahab. He's a terrible person. And then he's married to a terrible woman. So on top of being a, a terrible man, he's married to a terrible woman. And when the two terrible people come together, it's not good. And his wife's name is none other than Jezebel. That really stinks if your name is Jezebel. In fact, I would recommend you not name your children Jezebel. If your name is Jezebel, blame it on your parents. Call them up and tell them we got problems. You've named me half a terrible person. So we, we encounter Elijah in 1 Kings 17. So he goes before the king and he prays. And, and James goes through this prayer and he stops praying. And, and, and the rain stops for, you know, for some time. And then Ahab and Jezebel, they want him dead. So he flees. And he flees to this brook where God's going to take care of him. God brings birds and, and, and there's water there. And then it dries up and, and Elijah's going through the same thing we would be going through. Well, oh Lord, now is God going to abandon me? Is God going to take care of me? And God continues to take care of him. And then the Lord leads him to the widow, right? The widow. She says, well, I've, and he comes to her and he says, do you have some food? She's like, well, I've got enough for today. And then after that, me and my son are probably going to die. Encourage her. But the Lord continues to provide for them. Son dies. Her son dies. Elijah goes before the Lord. He takes some time. What is going on? What's happening? And the Lord miraculously raises the son from the dead. Now that's, can we agree that's a spiritual high? I mean, like, if you, if you, like, flow in through that kind of authority and power, like, I'm, like, I'm going to bounce, y'all. I'm like, man, look, let me tell y'all what happened the other day. That boy dead, and then he, anyway, Jesus, get up, and that boy walked. Like, I'm, like, bouncing. There's a bounce in my step. So Elijah confronts then, the story goes on, the wicked prophets. It's a quite a funny story. I mean, calling fire from the heavens and obliterating like, like the, off, the, the altars. Now, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, okay? If there was a spiritual gift that I could pick, calling fire down from heaven would be the one. Don't judge me because you've never been in Walmart or you've never been on the road and moron pulls out in front of you. I'd be like, fire and just consume that car. Now don't judge me, okay? That's just where I'm at with my walk with the Lord. And so you would think then that man, kid just got up from the dead. Like he was dead, dead. And, 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 and you should have seen it. And then and now he's alive. I ran for my life from the wicked Jezebel. And, and I, I thought I was going to starve, and God kept, like, providing for me. And then these, these, these prophets, I mean, these guys were like, these, these guys were like the modern-day witch doctors. Like, like they thought they, I, I thought it was it. And then, boom, I called down fire from heaven. And then, a, and then Jezebel sends word to Elijah. 
I am going to kill you. And what does Elijah do? He flees and he runs away. And suddenly he reverts back to the coward. Isn't that all of us? There's a reason why James throws this in here. Isn't that all of us sometimes? We get in these big highs with the Lord. Like, man, I'm feeling I'm batting at a thousand with God right now. And then there's just these moments of defeat. Like, I don't, I don't even, I, Elijah, at one point, Elijah's just like, will you just kill me? I, I would just feel like it'd just be better for me to die. Isn't that the Christian walk? For as many of things as, as James has given us as, as exhortations, the Christian looks like this. The Christian acts like this. The Christian is to do this. The Christian is to do that. And the Christian is to do not just what is right, but they ought to know, uh, they ought to act on what is right. And, and, he, and he gives us this line, but, but James is like, but let me tell you something. That's going to feel at times like it is just so overwhelming. I want you to think back and look back at our boy Elijah. Had those high moments with the Lord. And then those incredible low moments as well. No Christian is immune to this. No Christian is immune from the feeling of, I'm prone to wonder. No one. That's why he says in 19, my brothers, if anyone among you wonders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know. Whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. This is where that gentle loving comes back, right? And brings the fellow Christian and it's so vital to the community that we have. Like, man, I, I see that you're wondering, you're floundering a little bit in your faith. Man, man, look at the life of the people that God used. Look at Job, man. Look at, look at Elijah, these people that God used mightily and yet they still had this feeling of defeat. As I've said, James has stung. It's been uncomfortable at times. He's put the, the finger on the pain point of life, but he doesn't leave us there. Because the encouragement is this, right? He drops Elijah at the, at the end of this, and the encouragement is, as, as many as screw-ups as Elijah makes, it, what, what James is saying is to cling to the Lord, go to the Lord, know that the Lord is good, and the Lord will accomplish this. And, and, and then he says, and for all of Elijah's goofiness, where do we end up seeing Elijah again? It takes some time in history. But for the amount of goofiness, for the amount of defeat that Elijah felt that he had in his life, where, where, was, where was Elijah at the last time we saw him? Yeah, he was on the Mount of Transfiguration, right? You guys remember that story? Oh, that's that guy that said he would just rather die? Listen to me. Because that's... That's powerful. The amount of defeats that you'll face in your life, the amount of sin that you will not feel like you can overcome, that is not the end. 
And that's what James is getting at here. Don't discount my boy Elijah. He handed the mantle off and we didn't hear about him. We didn't see him and he just poofed gone. But God had established Elijah in his kingdom. And it may feel like your life may end like that. That is not the end for the believer. Because one day, we'll be right there with Elijah in the glorious presence of the king. Let's pray.